You're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Visit us at rabbitroom.com for more information. Hello, this is Jonathan Rogers. Welcome to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Shusaku Endo was a Japanese Catholic novelist from the 20th century. His novel Silence offers a complicated and anguished vision of the Christian faith in a time of persecution. This December, Martin Scorsese releases his film adaptation of Silence, a film that has been 25 years in the making. In this episode of the Rabbit Room Podcast, Thomas McKenzie, Pete Peterson, and I discuss what makes Silence such a compelling book. And I hope you'll tune in for our next episode, in which I sit down with artist Mako Fujimura, who was a special advisor on Scorsese's movie. All right, have you read Silence? I have. You have read Silence, and you've seen Calvary, and you've read Graham Greene, and you've all three of those. Oh, yeah, sure. You do it all time? I, in yeah, fact, good. I read The Power and the Glory because after I finished Silence, Thomas told me, you must now go read this. And I said, okay, I will do that. You read Silence first, then Power and the Glory. Yeah. yeah. Both about missionary... Both about somebody in the clergy in a time of persecution. Yeah. Thomas, you were the first person I ever heard mention silence. Mm-hmm. What are you so pumped up about this? This uh, uh, It's pure awesome. I mean, I... You think the idea of a movie of the book is awesome? No, not necessarily. Uh, I know. I've been wondering how that's going to... Yeah. Scorsese or Scorsese. However. I, I call him Scorsese. My wife... Says it does seem a little pretentious. It like sounds pretentious, but I think that's how he pronounces it. I um, call him Marty. Marty. That's <laughs> well. Usually, when I call him up, I might get him speed dial. I'm like, "Hey, Marty." I say Scorsese. Yeah, I think that's how he says it. I thought you said Scorsese. 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 I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Martin, um, I, I mean, I got into silence because of Japanese stuff. I like Japanese stuff. Thomas has samurai swords in his office yes. at the church. I have samurai swords. This is one of the reasons why I, I so willingly go to his church. I had forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. So I like Japanese stuff. I mean, I think probably because I saw Shogun when I was a kid and thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> right? All I remember about that TV show uh, is the scene where he pees on somebody. Oh, yes. All I I remember is it was on. I was like, no, I don't want to watch that. Oh, yeah, dude. There were no cars? There were Shogun. (laughs) Shogun. (laughs) But what what would it have been, about 1978 that Shogun came out? I don't remember. I guess so. Probably about then. So Uh, that, like, sparked my imagination as a kid. And so I have this sort of Japanese, like, Japanese things for whatever reason uh, already. And then began to get into um, some of the folks from the what's called the, the the Indo period, which is, you know, the guy from Shogun. I mean, he's based on a real guy, you know, named Takagawa. Uh. And um, we started what's called the Indo dynasty uh, in Japan. And we got into Miyamoto Musashi, and who was a great swordsman and everything else. And then began to learn that there was... A, a, what's called a Christian century in Japan. That there was this between the, the uh, 1530s and to 1630s about there, the the interaction with the Portuguese, especially, but also the Spaniards, but mainly the Portuguese, bringing um, um, trade, but then also, of course, because this is the way the Portuguese and Spanish worked, bringing missionaries. And uh-huh. so 
there was all this missionary work going on in Japan. And there were like seminaries built and yeah. like, it was yeah. it was full on. Yes, there was yeah. th- this full on Christian thing and and um, this began to really get into the culture in a very serious way. So there's a lot there was a lot of Christianity, but there's also a lot of Christian syncretism from the very beginning because that's the way a lot of cultures, you know, inhabit Christianity early on. And, you know, eventually Christianity became a political force among the underclass, which led to a, re- to a rebellion, which led to them being squashed, um, which led to the situation which silence takes place. Um, and Silence, of course, was, written, was published in 1968, but it's set in 1530. Uh, 16. Six, I'm sorry, 16. Sorry, 16. Part of it also, though, wasn't like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the establishment or the you know the ruling class in Japan felt that Christianity was increasingly incompatible with Japanese culture mm-hmm. and did not want the culture fur- further tainted by it and therefore was trying to stamp Christianity out to preserve their own heritage. Well, yeah, weirdly enough that the um, there were five before um, Takagawa became shogun. Um, there were five men who were wanted to be shogun, who were like fighting it out, and two of them were Christians. Is that right? Huh. Of the five, and there's a the fall. I can't remember the name of the of the, the daimyo, the the lord who who was the who fell that Musashi actually fought against and everything else. Apparently in his castle, he had, um, and his final battle when, which he was killed, his castle had, you know, banners of the Virgin Mary and Jesus like hanging down from them and stuff. So it was, it was, a it, it was kind of a deal, you know, um, and Christianity obviously is there's some, there's some weird ways in which it's very compatible with Japanese culture and some way where is it like in self-sacrifice in some ways in which it's obviously very not compatible, especially with, you know, samurai culture. But, you know, after all this thing happened, there became an, un, there became crypto Christians, like this secret society of Christians in Japan who didn't come out of the closet as it were until the 19th century when it became legal to be a Christian again. Wow. And they would do things like they would take a, they had statues that looked like they were statues of the Buddha, but were actually statues of the Virgin Mary. Hmm. And you had to only you had to be able to tell, you know. And um, and so some of them became Catholic when it was able to do it, and some of them continue to this day to celebrate this sort of ancestor worship, in which their their ancestors happened to be saints. Huh. Like have you saints. seen these these statues that were? I've seen to be pictures of them. I've never yeah, been I mean, to that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Is it just? Without being disrespectful, like a, a fat Virgin Mary. I mean, how, how do you mistake no, a Buddha like, for a? You know, virgin? if you'd be like, um, like a, a sculpture of a, of a, of a, of a, of a Buddha who is not particularly fat or whatever, but is like a little feminine, and then is wearing a, a, a cross huh. around her neck, or she's holding a child. You know, but she looks like a. Mm-hmm. It, he looks like a Buddha holding that happens to be holding a child. But, but the, the cross the doesn't seem very crypto to me. Yeah, except that if you're Japanese, you may not understand yeah. in that because if the cross is not like a crucifix, it's sort of you can tell it's a cross, right. but only if you're looking at it that okay, way. So this is uh, like none of this. I had not yeah. planned to say this. Yes, I had never heard anybody say that before about the whole crypto uh-huh. underground Christianity kind of thing. Yes, when I lived in Japan, we would often go caving, mm-hmm. spelunking, just like looking around and. 
primarily you're always looking for World War II stuff, sure. which you would find every now and then. But one, this one time, we were down near the beach, and we, uh, I saw like a, what looked like a hole in the cliff, and I went up and looked, and it turned out that the rocks were actually stacked up, and they were concealing a cavern. And like pulled them back, and in the cavern were all these urns full of uh, remains, bones, hmm. which I was fascinated by. Um, and anyway, but I, I remember specifically that, like we could, we didn't, we thought it was really strange that the urns had angelic figures on them, hmm. and uh, which didn't seem like anything else we had seen in Japan. And you know, I didn't think anything more about it. I just thought it was interesting. But now that you say that, I wonder hmm. if these were part of that movement. I don't know. It's just really interesting. It's and it's possible. also cool that yeah, you can find a hidden cave full of remains. Yes, absolutely, it is. Yeah, I just wanted to talk. It sounds about like that. a podcast episode. Maybe <laughs> I can't tell the rest of that story. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so, so how how much of of this of the of silence? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's historical fiction. It is. Are the names the same? What do you know? How they're much not, the, they're not the same. Um, but the two main um, clergy characters in the book are based on real people okay. who went through something very similar to this. Uh-huh. So th- these things happen not exactly in this way. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but there, we know early on that, that there's this mysterious uh, missionary figure who, who has um, recanted is that the language we use? Yeah, we can't. Yeah, he's apostatized. Apostatized, mm-hmm. and um, and so our our main character is going out to to f- investigate that. To investigate. That's coming from Portugal, and that actually happened. That's true. That's, that happened. Yeah, just the guy's name wasn't Ferreira. Right. It's, it, well, it's actually very. It may actually be Ferreira. It's a very similar name. Okay. Very. And similar. these guys went in, well, left Port- Portugal, going to Japan, knowing that priests were being murdered. Right. So. It wasn't just they were going to see what was going on. They well, knew they were putting their lives on the line yeah. to go see. Yeah. Yeah, although they weren't priests weren't really being murdered anymore because there just almost weren't any priests left. Right. right, right. <laughs> left. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they certainly knew, knew they were going into danger. Yeah. So I'm trying to th- I'm trying to figure out what we can ha- what we can discuss that's not giving away too much because the mm-hmm. the end is just so astonishing yeah. to this book. I think the the thing that I find really compelling about the book that I think we can discuss without it giving anything away is the idea of being a martyr, but who's not a saint in the sense of, um, I mean, I think of martyrs or previously, I guess before all this thought of martyrs as people who are just really good, like very like saintly people, like very good Christians, you know, and we're very committed to their faith and, um, holy people and then the end of their lives was their holiness encounters encounters the evil of the world and the evil of the world kills them but look look at their great example to us and i think that in in this book as well as some of the other bits of literature we talked about i'm talking about today um the thing that brings them together for me is people who are not saintly but who are martyrs who end up Mm -hmm. giving their lives for their faith but they're not great examples necessarily of faith. And I wouldn't point to them and say like, oh, this guy is main imitate him as he imitates Christ. You know, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be the way I'd feel about, you know, the, the martyrs of 
that uh, may or may not appear in the book silence. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, and, and we can safely say there are mar- there, there right. are martyrs early yeah. on in this book. Yeah, there are martyrs in this book for sure. Well, I was going to say that what the thing about uh, the book that haunted me was the question of whether or not uh, apostasy can be an act of love and can mm-hmm. be potentially the right thing to do. Right. Because you know, I'm not spoiling anything. I don't think to. to to say that the book suggests that if you're confronted with uh, recanting your, either you recant your belief in Christ or you cause the murder of an, a village of Christians. Like in that impossible situation, what is the right choice? Right. I mean, it's easy from a distance to say, oh, well, he, he did not recant his belief in Christ and was, you know, crucified for it. You know, that's what a saint is typically. Yes. But like, you know, when the rubber hits the road and you're watching a family being murdered, but potentially, I'm not saying this happens in the book because it doesn't like this, but you know, is is that the right thing to do or not? Like what would Christ have us do in that case? Right. And that's the question I think the book ultimately answers, which yes. I'm not going to discuss. And that's where it became like, went from a good book to like one of the great books. Yes. Because the persecutors... By the time this book starts, the persecutors have discovered that a more effective way to put pressure on somebody is not with their own suffering, but right. the suffering, the of, suffering of others. Right. That's correct. Which is kind of every Western, sure. You know, not every right. Western, but a lot of Westerns, you know, work on that that idea. Yes. Right. But it's an uncomfortable thing to think about. Yeah. You know. Right, and it's unc- and it goes back to the very earliest days of Christianity. That one of our first great controversies is called the Donatist controversy, in which. Um, there was a, there were um, persecutions of Christians, and some of them apostatized. But then they, once the persecution was ended, they wanted to come back into the church, and the church had to ask the question: Do we allow people back in who right. apostatized? And the questions were about: Okay, what was done to them? How bad did it get? Like, were their children threatened? Did they mm. kill people in front of them? Like, or was it just like, hey, we want you to apostate? Sure, yeah, no problem. You know, like, right. what was the level of pressure put upon them? And oftentimes it's the le- it was the level of pressure that huh. indicated whether or not they'd be accepted. And some of them were clergy. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing applied to them. Well, will we accept them back as clergy people if they apostatized? You know, mm-hmm. and under what conditions would we accept them back? And some of them were accepted back. Some were bishops, and they were accepted back as priests, but not as bishops. Or they're accepted back as priests, but they're not allowed to function as priests. What century was that? Do you remember? Uh, second century. Second century. Yeah, interesting. So very early on in, in Christianity. Yeah. And then we have this character in here who's kind of a multiple apostatizer. I mean, you know, it's kind of a serial right. apostatizer. He <laughs> comes <laughs> back and he goes away. He comes back and he, right. That's he, called a heretic, right? When you're a serial apostatizer. <laughs> <laughs> He says stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a powerful book. You haven't read it, have you? No, I have. I I, I read it a couple weeks ago, and it was just amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And so the... And which ultimately, I I love Martin Scorsese, and I will go see this movie. Sure. But I cannot... I have a really hard time imagining that he's going to capture the full complexity of that book, because so much of it is internal and, in my opinion, unfilmable. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe you can have like a personified devil character who can go around and threaten people. That's kind of how he handles uh, the last temptation of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Is he had to have a personified devil character. Yeah. I hope he doesn't do it this time. No, hopefully not. But maybe he will have all the 
bad guys speak with British accents like he does in The Last Temptation of Christ, <laughs> well, which is awesome. Well, <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's just... That's how you know they're bad. <laughs> they speak with British that's accents. Just, that seems obvious. for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's obvious, certainly. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Sally Lloyd-Jones is actually doing... She, she's going to be a villain. Uh, a she villain. is evil. Yeah. She is. <laughs> I'm sorry, you Sally. You heard it here first, folks. Sally Lloyd-Jones <laughs> is a disciple of Satan. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't it amazing that she's able to keep that accent? She, it never, it never cracks. She, right, she, she, she right. got to keep that accent up. I can't do that. I know you all do know that she's from Cleveland, right? Is <laughs> yeah. anyone aware of this? <laughs> so it's all fake. Um, so Thomas, are you excited about the the fact that this is going to be made a movie? Are you? I mean, I'm not excited. Are you hopeful? You know what? I hope. I hope that people will read the book. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. That's what I really hope. I hope that people will say like, oh. That was pretty cool, or that was weird, or whatever happens with this thing. You know, it does encourage me that I, I've read that Marty <laughs> That's what has wanted him. to make this book into a movie for his entire career. Yeah. Like, it's that meaningful to him. And yeah. it's hard for me to imagine that uh, it would be that meaningful for somebody that doesn't have a very strong conviction uh, about the power of the book. So hopefully that means that he's got a plan. Yeah, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I know he's Catholic, so right. it's not like he's coming out of left field with this. Yeah. Stuff. Well, in, in if that, Michael Bay was directing it, <laughs> man, the explosions alone would put me off. Actually, I thought he was a Shogun. He, he's, he's Catholic. I thought he was a Shogun. Mar- Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. He might be a Shogun. Yeah, <laughs> he is a Shogun. <laughs> Samurai. He's the the part of the the leader of the Shogunate of. Brooklyn. That is the show. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn. Is a shogun just like the head samurai? Is that what a shogun no. is? A shogun is a military dictator. Uh, I mean, there was an emperor. Are, samurais are like knights. What yeah, are samurais? Sort of like knights. But it's actually a knight class because a woman can be a samurai, but they don't dress up in armor and kill people. But it's a class. It's also a servant class, basically, right? Like it's not. No, it's a. It's a they, they serve. You have to. If you're a samurai, you've got to serve somebody. To quote right. the song title, um, you got to serve somebody if you're a samurai, and if you don't, you're called ronin, which means right. wave man. Right. Um, huh. Which means that you're like a wave, like you're not serving anybody. Um, but yeah, there was because there was an emperor, and then there was something. There was someone, someone named the Tycho, not the toy company, but the like a, who, but the who took over toy. for the emperor, and then the and then he was overthrown by the people who wanted to be shogun, and then you have a shogun until the emperor is resurgent in the 19th century. Uh huh. And then, of course, now they have a, a democracy. And where's where Tom Cruise coming to this? I, you know what's so funny about Tom Cruise in the <laughs> in the Last Samurai is that that movie is like the end of the Indo Shogunate and and into the beginning of the bringing back the Emperor. Um, and Tom Cruise is over there, effectively. You know, he fights for the samurai, like he's on the samurai's side, and that's kind of like making a movie in which. Um, the Nazis are falling and you go over there and fight for the Nazis to stay in power. I mean, the, right. the samurai were not nice people. Right. It's an idealized you know? version of history. Uh, very idealized. They were right. very, very, I mean, it's a very harsh reality. Yeah. They kept peace for 250 years. I mean, it's 250 years of real peace and prosperity in Japan, but that's because of brutal dictatorship, uh-huh. which often will give you great peace and prosperity if you have good leaders. But a lot of people's heads are getting cut off too. Yeah. So, isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah. So that flows into why you wanted me to read The Power and the Glory. Yes, by Graham Greene. Which Green. is a similar, yeah, by, by Graham Greene, which is a similar story about a period in Mexico when the Catholic, uh, is it, was it Christianity in general or just the Catholics? All, so, all, all Christians were 
being repressed by the communist okay. government of southern yeah. Mexico. So it's a story about this uh, whiskey priest who's kind of like the last priest in the province, and he's kind of like laying low and on the run because he knows people have got it out for him. You say whiskey priest, you just mean he's, he's unemployed a, and drunk. Right, right. Yeah. And that's what they call him in the book is like the he, He's priest. a miserable character. He knows he's miserable. He's very aware of his own sin, and yet he kind of like slinks through society and administers his sacraments to people. And... uh as he's on the run. And I, you know, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but the ending is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. And yeah, but it's also a very bleak book. Yeah. Yeah. It is very, bleak. So it, it's a very, it's a great companion piece to silence. I think so. In, in Indo, Shako Indo, the guy who wrote silence has been called the Graham green of Japan. And so, which makes sense because of his career, but yeah, I totally agree. I think that, I think in the same and in a similar way, the whiskey priest is like what I said. He's a he's a martyr, but he's not a saint. Right? Like he's not saintly in any way, but he ends up being a martyr. And I feel like in this in a similar way, like we we talked about uh, the movie um, Calvary is a very to me is very similar. You have someone who's a, a martyr but not a saint, you know. Um, and in fact, we I haven't brought this up with you at all. I was thinking about um, Mary Doria uh, Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow. Which I don't know if you guys have read. I haven't read that. Science fiction from 10, 10, 15 years ago. I don't remember when it came out. But same thing. It's about a missionary who goes, in this case, to another planet. Not necessarily a saintly character. The mission. Right? The mission. Yeah. Not necessarily a saintly character, but who has this opportunity to be a martyr. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all those kind of... Or was he? Because in the context of that movie, he was kind of almost excommunicated there at the end yeah. by Jeremy Irons because he was going back to his violent ways. Exactly. Complicated. Yeah, it's Later, Connor had a little girl character and said she could never be a saint, but she thought she could be a martyr if they'd kill her quick. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. I don't could imagine being a saint, but... Yeah, martyrdom, that's kind of glorious. Sure. If it's we, quick. Just last week, we went to see The Crucible here in town. Oh, right. Blackbird Theater put on The Crucible. First time I'd seen it in a long time. But what I remembered of it primarily was the movie version with Daniel Day-Lewis. Sure. And uh, after we saw the show, we watched the movie, and I was really dissatisfied with it. Because I feel like the movie really kind of makes it into a anti-religious drama. Hmm. Whereas the way that Blackbird presented it, and I think this is borne out in the actual text, like it's, it's not about anti-religion. Mm-hmm. It's about things much more complex than that. But what I was fascinated by, one of the aspects that really fascinates me is that when you get to the end, John Proctor, who is the protagonist of the, of the, of the play, he's forced to admit falsely that he has been in league of the devil with the devil yeah. so that he will not be hung. And like he says, like he doesn't want to admit this, um, let me see. I guess right. So all these all these people have been already gone to the gallows because they wouldn't admit that. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, I have never been in league with the devil. I'm not going to admit that what I was, and therefore you can even hang me. And so they've all gone on. And he didn't feel like because because he was a sinful man, he didn't feel like he could even uh, withhold that and go to the gallows because they were saints and he was not. Right. Um, anyway, it was just it was kind yeah. of another turn on the idea of. Uh, what it means to be a saint and a martyr, hmm. and in the end, he does go to the to the gallows, but he does it. He comes to it in a way that allows him to maintain his own integrity. Hmm. Anyways, fascinating and complex, and 
fits right in with all the, both of those books, I think. That's very cool. Yeah. All right, lots of reading material. I feel like I just rambled there. I'm sorry. No, you did not. I don't know if that made sense. No, that was good. It, it made so much sense. It blew my mind. Thank you. <laughs> all right, lots of reading material for Rep Room Podcast listeners. You know it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jonathan. All right. Thank you. For more information about the Rabbit Room and the Rabbit Room podcast, visit us at rabbitroom.com. The music on this podcast was composed and performed by Andrew Senga from his album Solar Wind. <laughs>